0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Just getting rolling here on this June 16th. I think it's, at this point, sort of uh, relaxing and maybe even a little bit cathartic. To do a countdown towards the NBA season, we are at six weeks and two days until the NBA season comes back. It seems like, and I know that Woj was on TV yesterday talking about how Kyrie Irving represents more people than originally thought. I still think that ultimately the season does get going. There's a possibility that things get moved around. Maybe the timing gets shifted, but I think we're going to get NBA... Uh, I think there's too much on the line, and I think that there are so many ways that folks can utilize the NBA for the forces of good that they will. What you might see, before we dive into some fantasy stuff again today, what you might see is that some guys just decide not to go. And that's okay. For whatever reason. For whatever reason, they decide they don't want to go. Honestly, honestly. I don't know how I would feel if I was in those shoes. But if I had $100 million in my bank account, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. I mean, you don't. You can be a complete novice investor with $100 million, and you can probably still make $2 million a year just by having $100 million. It's kind of amazing how money begets money. That's if you're doing basically nothing putting it into like a mutual fund or a a certificate of deposit or something like that, you're going to get 2 to 4% probably from just doing nothing. So if I had $100 million, I ain't going. I'm not going to risk my life. On top of everything else, if I had $100 million and there was a massive movement occurring that would change the complexion of the future for my people, I definitely wouldn't go. So I get it. I totally get it. But there are a lot of folks out there. First, second year guys, maybe, that are playing for a bigger contract. Guys that have been scraping along. Maybe somebody ran into financial troubles along the way that the collective bargain agreement is a really big deal for them. And that's also an art. I mean, the thing is, there's just, there's so many reasonable things on that are coming out, reasons to go, reasons not to go, that I think you probably just see most guys go and some guys don't. And that's fine. If Kyrie Irving doesn't go, and he wants to focus on other stuff, that actually doesn't change anything at all. He wasn't playing. If Dwight Howard doesn't go, Lakers probably sign a different backup big man. The NBA will go on. And hopefully, this social movement will go on. I think there's a way to tie it all together. Like I said yesterday, I think that's probably what happens. But we're not going to get too deep into that today. I already mentioned on yesterday's show what I thought would happen. I will continue to refrain from expressing an opinion on what I think should happen. Because ultimately, I don't think it matters what I think should happen. I don't have the kind of skin in this game that other folks do. So who cares what I think should happen? My my outlook on this, the way I'm looking at it, is almost exclusively from a marketing standpoint, which is logistical and boring. I want things to be covered a lot. I want there to be a lot of coverage. That's the only way I'm looking at it from, and, and that's not the way that a lot of folks are looking at it right now, and that makes my opinion sort of uh, a little bit whack. But again, we talked about it plenty yesterday. We don't need to dive back into it today, just a couple minutes here on the outset, what I thought uh, may have occurred overnight. A couple things from over the weekend and even yesterday that we didn't get to cover on yesterday's podcast. Uh, number one, on the COVID front, the NBA now has officially enough tests and the globe, well, the country at least, it feels like they have enough tests where the NBA can now uh, administer COVID testing to asymptomatic players and staff as well. Prior to the, and honest to God, I had forgotten that this was a thing. I figured they were already doing this. The plan for the return for the players is that they're going to be testing daily. I thought it was everybody. Apparently it wasn't everybody until yesterday. So they're now capable of testing asymptomatic players and staff. This is a really big deal because all indications to this point have been that asymptomatic or presymptomatic or possibly both are contagious. At least one, maybe both. That was what worried me the most. If somebody woke up with 102 fever, it's pretty easy for them to say, guys probably shouldn't come into the office today. But it's the folks that feel fine, but are carrying the virus, or the folks that are going to get sick tomorrow, or feel sick tomorrow, that are already incubating, those folks are spreading the crap out of this thing. So if the NBA can test asymptomatic players, keep them home before symptoms show, before they become wildly contagious, that's a really big deal for limiting outbreaks because there's almost definitely going to be a case somehow some way it'll float its way in whether it's going to be uh you know on the the name tag of a disney stu uh, <laughs> what do they call them cast member we call them cast members uh, employees if it comes in on a disney cast member's name tag and they touch that and then they touch somebody's morning tea or whatever Someone's gonna get sick. I don't I don't care how it happens, it's gonna pop up. But if they get tested and we get the positive result before they come into contact with anybody, that's awesome. That that player, that staff member, whoever, can stay home for 10 to 14 days until they get their two negative tests in a row, and you prevented it from spreading to two, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten other people. So that's a big deal. That's a really big deal for actually getting us through. The NBA resumption and the playoffs. Without having to, you know, just eliminate a team, basically. Uh, some player news that emerged from over the weekend. Um Clint Capella apparently feeling much better. Doesn't matter though, because the Hawks are not coming back. They've been eliminated. Jonathan Isaac will apparently be traveling to Orlando, but his status remains uncertain. If we get some clarity on that, that could change the way that some of you folks out there that are set for redrafting. I know there's going to be redraft. I'm going to be in one. I'm going to tell you guys right now here on Market Down, 10, 10 a.m. here on the Pacific Coast, June 16th. Mark my words, I will be in an eight-game redraft league, however it turns out to be, whether it's points or roto. For this resumption of the season. And I will be in a playoff league. And I will put a small amount of money on it. Very small. But I got to get I got to get focused, man. There's so much going on. I can't not... My body says just wait until the regular season. But my brain is like, you haven't done this in four months by the time this comes back. You got to do something, even if it's nuts. Anyway, so Jonathan Isaac is planning on being in the bubble. We don't know if he's going to be playing yet. And Luke Kennard, on another team that's not going to be playing in the bubble... Apparently says he's fully recovered and ready to play. You know, he might add some value next year. We talked about Detroit way back when during our post-mortem season here on the podcast. And he was a name that emerged because he needs a ton of usage to have value. But he has a pathway to it. Because a bunch of guys are coming off the books on that team. Question really comes down to how much usage does Blake Griffin have when he comes back next year? That could push canard out of the way and does derrick rose last an entire season so no game changing stuff really from the player news standpoint if we get more on jonathan isaac that could be a pretty good size game changer the real if you want to keep using the same word here on the podcast the real game changing news is that the nba can test asymptomatic players that's a really really i cannot stress this enough really big deal that is that is the thing, in my estimation, that keeps COVID to one to two people at a time instead of a whole team. It's just so easy, you know? When you think about it from a what are the odds we can make it through this thing, and I hate to take the pessimistic approach here, but I've been in locker rooms before in my existence. I've been a member of the media. I have covered a team. I have followed a team as a media representative as the play-by-play voice. And I know minor league baseball locker rooms are small and jammed together more so than a ritzy NBA high-level pro locker room. There's more space per person. But those showers are all together. Those lockers are right next to each other. It's almost impossible. If one person goes into a locker room with any illness, forget COVID, a freaking common cold, someone else is going to catch it. unless there was basically a way to figure out that they had it before they became highly contagious get them out spray it down i think they're going to be sanitizing things pretty regularly anyway all right so that's your news from over the weekend that we didn't get to cover on yesterday's show because we did spend and I, i'm i'm glad i did i know it was sort of a weird episode yesterday we did we did get into the yahoo rankings towards the end of the podcast but spent i would say most of the show talking about uh kyrie irving and this kind of struggle for what's going to happen and who's coming back to me that's a show that needed to get done even if it wasn't our our normal way of going about things it wasn't just hardcore fantasy it was it was important but today we dive back into the yahoo breakdown how did they do And I want to get through the rest of the top 100 so we can move on to something else tomorrow. Because so far, I think we've learned some pretty valuable lessons. Number one, Yahoo's getting better. They're getting better. The trend line is positive at almost every juncture. Especially if you pull out the guys that were big misses on all different seasons. The non-outliers, the, you know, how much are we missing this sort of average run-of-the-mill pick-by, it's getting better. But let's just go through some names relatively fast here. We, we finished at pick 50 yesterday, but I don't think that I even gave you all the names mixed in there. So what we'll do today is we're just going to move our way through groups of 10. Starting at 21. So we're going to go back and cover some of the names that we talked about yesterday in more of a broad topic sense. But I want to go through them one by one, and then a comment or two on each grouping of 10 players. And by the end of today's show... Uh, hopefully it'll be in the 35, 40 minute range. We'll be done with the top 100 and tomorrow we can move on and, and start looking at some other stuff as well. This countdown towards actual ball games begins anew. I mean, we're going to have to start looking at what teams are actually involved for redraft stuff. It's almost, I mean, I know it's nuts, but we're going to have to do some draft analysis on this thing. Anyway, we'll get to that when we get to that. So, starting at pick 21, 21 through 30, uh, is Vooch, Miles Turner, Andre Drummond, DeAndre Ayton, Mitchell Robinson, uh, De'Aaron Fox, John Collins, Draymond Green, Pascal Siakam, and Ben Simmons. And the misses, this is not ADP, remember, going by Yahoo preseason rank, which does certainly influence the ADP, but it is not the final word on average draft position. This just has a pretty strong pull on it. Miss size on each of those 10 players in order. On Vooch, he beat... His mark by four. Miles Turner, 34 slots behind. Drummond, pretty much a hit, we'll call it. If something's close, we're just going to call it a hit. DeAndre Ayton was a hit. Mitchell Robinson, 22 slots behind. Aaron Fox, 58 down. John Collins, 20 up. Draymond Green, 51 down. Pascal Siakam was a hit. And Ben Simmons was eight down. Pretty close to a hit. Uh, Given all of his limitations, the steps he made forward, particularly in steals, covered up for uh, some of the other issues out there. So as we already talked about yesterday, that 20 through 30 grouping was actually not a particularly good one during this most recent draft. They Yahoo actually did better 21 through 30 last year when they missed by about 18 per pick, and this year it was about 20. But here's the thing. That was really more the outlier. There were a few key misses in there, Draymond Green by 50, Darren Fox by almost 60, that Either one of those guys could have very easily been in some other chunk. Last last year, uh, the big misses in that range, Jamal Murray was, at, was a 38-point miss. Kevin Love was a 36-point miss. Draymond Green was a 33-point miss. But then Aaron Gordon was 53, and he was the very next pick. Or excuse me, that was uh, number 41. We're doing 21 through 30. Uh, last year, the big misses there, Chris Middleton by 44, John Wall by 50. And then there were a lot of that were actually really close. So it's uh, you know compare year over year, it's it's not it's imperfect. So let's keep going because uh, it's really more important about looking at all of these different chunks as a as a uh, a graph as a line with slope as opposed to each individual chunk of ten. Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Jaron Jackson Jr., Kristaps Porzingis, Buddy healed Mike Conley, Otto Porter, D'Angelo Russell, and Jason Tatum. That's 31 through 40 in the Yahoo preseason ranks. And the miss size there was Mitchell down 15, Booker down 7, Chris Paul 20 up, JJJ 32 down, Porzingis 14 up, Healed 23 down, Conley, uh, excuse me, I, I forgot to change that one back to a non-miss. Where did I get that? Ah, Conley, negative 144, Otto Porter, negative 88, D'Angelo Russell, negative 11, and Jason Tatum, positive 29. So if you thought the 21 through 30 range had some big misses, the 31 through 40 range was the ultimate in kind of soiling themselves. Actually, it runs all the way through Blake Griffin at 42. And here's the thing. If you look at Slope... It's ramping up pretty hard here, but that's why you have to look at what's going on on the other side of this stuff. What do do I mean by that? Well, that 31 through 40 grouping this year had an average miss size of 38. Last year, it was 16. If you just looked at those two numbers, you'd say Yahoo's gotten worse. But here's the thing. You have to look at the overall picture, which continues further. We will keep going. 41 through 50 this year, Covington, Blake Griffin, Markinon, C.J. McCollum, Chris Middleton, DeRozan, Clint Capella, LaMarcus Aldridge, Eric Bledsoe, Tobias Harris. Covington was a hit, Blake Griffin negative 263, Markkinen negative 65, McCollum uh, down 13, Middleton up 10. DeRozan hit, Capella up 13, Aldridge up 24, Bledsoe down 33, Tobias Harris basically a hit. He was up 5. This is relevant because all of a sudden now, they started to get better again. After Blake Griffin and Laurie Markkinen, these are a bunch of hits, effectively. I mean, the misses in there were what? 10, 13, 24, 33? That's really, that's pretty damn close in that 41 through 50 range. Last year, point of comparison, Aaron Gordon, the 41 through 50 range had miss sizes of 53, 17, 16, 123, 9, there's one they got mostly right. 39, 21, 13, 162, and 7. Also one they got mostly right. That grouping had a miss size of 46. This year, that grouping had a miss size of 43. But if you take out Blake Griffin, that miss size goes down to 17. I know what you're thinking, Dan. There was a big miss, yes, in last year's one also. Yeah, there were two, Gary Harris and Will Barton. But guess what? Those are a little bit different, because Blake Griffin is Blake Griffin. We told you a thousand times he wasn't worth drafting. But what do we do? Okay, fine. Let's let's do both of them this way. Let's let's cater to what we got to do. If you take out Gary Harris and Will Barton, last year shrinks down to 18. So they get pretty close again. But here's the thing. Here's the reason I don't want to work like that. I don't work like that because that's two misses. I took out one this year. A 263-slot miss. Blake Griffin was useless from before the season even began. What about the next grouping of 10? Kevin Love, Aaron Gordon, Brooke Lopez, Jamal Murray, Shea, Kyle Lowry, Derek Favors, Adebayo, Zach Levine, and Zion. Misses there. Negative 13, negative 64, negative 12. Hit on Jamal Murray, hit on Shea. 29 up for Kyle Lowry, Derek Favors, down 33. Adebayo up 17, Zach Levine up 22 Zion down 73. That grouping had a miss size of 27. And there wasn't any one real, I mean, I know Zion missed most of the season, but there wasn't any one colossal number that you kind of need to pull out. Compare this, by the way, to last year, where they didn't get anything closer than 11 during that 51 to 60 range. This year, they got one. Jamal Murray was a two-slot miss. Shea was a one-slot miss. Kevin Love, 13. Adebayo, 17. Four of the 10 names in that thing were a miss by less than 20. Last year, one. And it was Josh Richardson with an 11-point miss. They are getting better. The average miss size there was 27. Last year, it was 46. Excuse me, 54 it was bigger. Forgot to put a number back in. Let's just keep going so you guys can follow along with this. I know it's getting a little bit thick. I warned you guys that the next few shows were going to be thick with information. Horford, Brogdon, Jonathan Isaac, Gallo, Josh Richardson, JV, Julius Randall, Miles Bridges, Thomas Bryant, and Kelly Oubre Jr. That's the 61 through 70 range this year. I would call that generally a pretty bad group of picks. There are a lot of misses. Al Horford was generally a hit. Uh, JV was close at 11. Gallo was close at 13. And then everything else was way out. Brogdon down 29. Jonathan Isaac up 48. Richardson down 97. Julius Randle down 79. Miles Bridges down 98. Thomas Bryant down 44. Oubre up 22 average miss size 44 last year average miss size during that grouping 45 i know uh, let's keep going cuz i want to get through all of this and then we can circle back around to what it all means um i'm going to do the last 30 names here rapid fire so get ready we're going you know ace ventura style Wendell Carter Jr., Terry Rozier, Marvin Bagley, John Morant, Gordon Hayward, Marcus Gasol, Stephen Adams, Larry Nance Jr., Victor Oladipo, Joe Ingles. That's the 71 through 80 range. 81 through 90. Hassan Whiteside, Damanis Sabonis, Jeff Teague, DeJounte Murray, Freddie Van Vliet, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Ricky Rubio, Kyle Kuzma, Jeremy Lamb. Whoops on Kyle Kuzma, huh? Yahoo. Montrez Harrell at 91. We'll go through 100. DeLon Wright, TJ Warren, Lonzo, Marcus Smart, Nick Batum, Mikhail Bridges, Dwayne Dedman, Gary Harris, and Lou Williams. And now we can rattle off some miss size here just so we can get through this. I, I want to get through this part because I think this is this is the boring part, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys like hearing the names and the actual analysis is the boring part, but whatever. You're stuck with me now. Uh, going all the way back to number 71, Wendell Carter Jr. down 47. Terry Rozier hit. Bagley down 87. Morant down 47. Hayward up 26. Marcus Old down 36. Steven Adams down 15. Larry Nance a hit. Old Depot. I mean, what are we even doing here? You injured for two months. I'm basically not counting it, but it was down 183. Ingles down 70. Hassan Whiteside up 73. Best pick in fantasy. Damanis Sabonis 39 up. Teague 103 down. DeJounte Murray up 14. Freddie Van Vliet up 62. Karis Levert down 83. Jared Allen, basically a hit. Down seven. Rubio up 30. Kyle Kuzma down 185. Jeremy Lamb hit up one. Montrez down 13. DeLon Wright down 44. TJ Warren up 31, Lonzo Ball up 23, Marcus Smart up 35, Nick Batum down 143. I don't know what the hell he was doing inside the top 100. Mikael Bridges up 20, Dwayne Dedman down 156, Gary Harris down 40, and Lou Williams down 53. The last 10, the groupings now, 71 through 80 was an average miss size of 51, 81 through 90 average miss size of 60, And 91 through 100, average miss size of 56. Last year, in those same groups, the average miss size 71 through 80 was 30. 81 through 90 was 44. And 91 through 100 was 74. What this all tells us is that last year, again, you can start to look back at where things sort of diverged more consistently, as opposed to just a few key misses, right around 50 even if you pull Gary Harris and Will Barton out once you got past 50 last year, everything went off the rails. So we can actually do this math for you. It was a miss size of 18 at number 50. And by the end, and uh, uh, excuse me, I should say the last 10 miss size was 18. By the 51 through 60 range, the last 10 was 54. And then as we told you already, it never got below 30 at any point the rest of the way. But let's put all the numbers back into our sheet because, you know, we want to make sure we're actually getting the right numbers. This year, at the end of the top 50, it was 43, but that was all Blake Griffin, who told you if you take that out, it goes down to 16. At the end of the top 60, it was still only 27. But by the end of the top 70, and in fact, it really took in when Miles Bridges' numbers and Josh Richardson got into the mix, it started ramping up hard. Josh Richardson at 65, you could argue, is when things took a pretty significant and notable turn for the worse. It went up to 36 when Josh Richardson, this is, again, running tally of the last 10 miss size. And from that point on, the only time it got below 36 was briefly when they nailed Larry Nance because both he and Terry Rozier were in that same 10-pick chunk and two hits sort of... It was kind of the outlier in the other direction now. You know how we got rid of Blake Griffin for being an outlier down? Well, we should almost get rid of Rosier and Nance for being an outlier on a hit. So last year, again, just to reiterate, after the top 50, they fell apart. This year, after the top 65, Yahoo's ranks fell apart, which all goes into the same... You guys see what I did here? The same theme... The same topic sentence we're writing our essay from yesterday's show. Yahoo is getting better. Well, we mentioned briefly at the end of yesterday's show, and what I want to be the main focus the rest of today's show is, well, if Yahoo's getting better, what does that mean for us? Well, a couple of things. First, and this is a point I made on yesterday's show, but I feel that actually bears repeating. First, if Yahoo is getting better... That means everyone playing on Yahoo is getting better. There are those of us who can make our own list and never look at the Yahoo window. You're drafting blind. I know Brew does it that way. I don't. I don't draft blind because I like to see what other people are looking at. I think it's important to know what your competition is picking from because... Almost undoubtedly, unless you're in this, you know, the $10,000 leagues, you're going to have at least a handful of people. And I would say generally the majority of people in your leagues are going to be using some sort of rankings that they have themselves, but also the window, the draft window. Because the rankings that we all make are going to parallel the draft window in some way. And as Pete names come off the board, you have to look to see who's left. So everyone's going to get better. Because everyone, 99% of people, see the Yahoo window, see the preseason ranks, the way that the draft window organizes these names, and it pulls them towards the names that are farther up on that chart. That's the subtle difference. The less subtle difference is that there are many people in your leagues who don't use their own rankings at all and just use the Yahoo rankings. They look at the window, and there they have picked 35, and the names still on the board are Chris Paul, uh, Draymond Green, Kristaps Porzingis, and Mike Conley. Well, the preseason ranking has Draymond Green as the highest rank among those guys. They're going to take Draymond Green. In that case, it didn't work out for them. If they have pick 35 and Chris Paul, Jaron Jackson, Chris Porzingis, and Buddy Heald are all there, they're going to take Chris Paul because he was the first-ranked guy, and it's going to be good for them. So for every time that Yahoo gets it closer, year after year after year, the people drafting off of their preseason numbers are going to get better picks. And then finally, what if you're in a league where someone auto-drafts? They're going to get better, too. They're not going to beat us. We still beat Yahoo almost every time with our own numbers and our own strategy on drafting. We dodge the bads one. We try to get the good ones, and we get a lot of the ones that are close. We want guys where they finish pretty close to where they started. Or where you took them, I should say. Finish pretty close to where you took them. We're going to still beat them, but it's going to get harder even if the people in your league aren't doing any extra work because the page they're reading is better. The information is better. So what do we do about that? How do we continue to beat the system, more or less? What we're trying to do in fantasy is beat the system. Well, for one, for one, ADP. We're always going to look at ADP because you got to know how much the preseason rank is actually pulling a particular player's number. That's the easy one. The hard one is what we've been doing on this podcast the last two and a half months. Three months. Good God. Over three months? (laughs) How the hell did that happen? Over three months. The hard part is what we've been doing on this podcast the last three plus months, which is... Figuring out how to build your own rankings and how to use them in conjunction with the rankings of the website you're using for your actual game. I've had people ask me a question on Twitter, or I think they phrased it in the form of a statement, but I'll pose it as a question here. Dan, why don't you just use your own rankings? I don't just use my own rankings because I don't necessarily draft guys in the order I think they're going to finish. I draft guys in the order I think I can get the best ADP return. Let me use an example from this year. And, you know, it's not going to be one that'll ever come up, but this is just a hypothetical. Let's say that I had a pick on the turn in the first round. Nope, that's a bad example, because I have two picks back-to-back right there. Let's say I have the—oh, I don't care. This is a 10-team league, by the way. Just All of our examples here are going to be 10-team league, because it's easier to read the numbers. I, I know that's not how we're playing, but just bear with me on this one. Let's say I have the 7th pick in a 10-team league, which means uh, I also have the 14th pick coming back in the second round. Also, looking ahead— and because we're doing it in tens, this makes it a lot easier. I would also have the 27th pick and the 34th pick in this hypothetical scenario. So let's let's ignore the, the very top end, because Yahoo tends to get everything pretty close to right through the first round, round and a half, or two rounds, as we saw this year. And let's move towards my third and fourth round picks in this hypothetical scenario. Pick 27 and pick 34 are the next two ones I have coming up. It gets to me at pick 27... And some names are still on the board. Some of the names that are still on the board that I am eyeballing at this point are Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, Kristaps Porzingis. This is, again, you know, let's let's assume we already kind of know what's been going on. And, and let's say DeAndre Ayton somehow made it to 27 in this particular draft. So DeAndre Ayton, uh, Chris Paul, Kristaps Porzingis, Jason Tatum, all four of those guys are on the board right now. Let's say that I got every ranking right. Okay, In this hypothetical scenario, I know exactly how these players are going to finish the season. What I don't know is how other teams are going to draft them. So let's say in this hypothetical example, I already know at a pick 27, the best player that I should take there, the one who's going to finish the highest, is Jason Tatum. He ended the season at number 11. Chris Paul at 13, DeAndre Ayton, or excuse me, Porzingis at 21, Ayton at 22. So if I were to draft them in the order that they finished the year, it would have been Tatum, Paul, Porzingis, Ayton. But you can't just think that way. If I took Jason Tatum here, in all likelihood, by pick 34, the three other best options for me at this point will probably be gone. Right, the one that might survive there would be Chris Paul, because he had, or he and Porzingis. Their preseason ranking was 33 and 35. So they might survive to 34. There's no chance DeAndre Ayton gets back. So you have a couple of choices here. If I just drafted it in the way that I knew they were finishing the season, I would take Jason Tatum at pick 27. Make sure I get my numbers right there. What did I say? 27 and 34 at pick 27. But you also have to take into account what other people are going to do. Jason Tatum's preseason rank was 40. He was the least likely player to be taken between 27 and 34. So even though I know already, I know he's going to finish as the best ranked player of those four guys I just listed off, he's also the least likely to be taken before my next pick. He's the most likely to still be there at 34. So what I'm probably doing here is I'm actually debating whether I should just take DeAndre Ayton Because in all likelihood, he's going to have a strong showing. And I already know in this hypothetical sample, he finishes at 22. And if I take Aiton, then I'm assuming in my mind, there's a pretty reasonable chance that either Paul, Porzingis, or Tatum will still be on the board at 34. Because now, instead of taking Jason Tatum at 27, when guaranteeing that Aiton will be gone by 34 in this hypothetical, and hoping that Paul or Porzingis is still there, I've taken now DeAndre Ayton, and I've added back into the possibilities pool Tatum, who wasn't going generally until 40. So if I take Ayton at 27, I might still get Tatum at 34. Whereas if I took Tatum at 27, there's almost no chance I get Ayton at 34. Does that make sense? I know it was a little bit circuitous, but the reason... That To me, I hope that this is beginning to answer the question of, Dan, why don't you just draft off your own list? The answer is you have to try to figure out who might get back to you at your next pick. Sometimes you take the guy who has a slightly lower final season ranking because you believe he won't be there when it gets back to you next time. You can plot out this puzzle in your mind. In this hypothetical example, what if I told you I knew for sure that two of those four guys will definitely be gone by pick 34? Two of those four will definitely be gone. If I don't touch either of them, two of those guys will definitely be gone by pick 34. Well, in all likelihood, the two guys that would be gone would be DeAndre Ayton, who had the highest ADP of the bunch, and then probably Chris Paul who I believe had the second highest ADP of the bunch. So by pick 34, I'm probably going to be left with Porzingis or Tatum. If you knew that already, wouldn't you then take either Aiton or Paul at 27? Even though Jason Tatum actually still, by what we already know here, finishes the season at the highest point, sometimes you have to draft out of order. It's a weird concept to get into our head. It's why I talk about players in buckets as opposed to an exact number. That four-player situation I just outlined for you was a bucket of guys going in a particular range. It's why I talk about ADPs constantly leading up to fantasy draft season. Because if you know what other people are doing, you can beat them. If they telegraph their move, you can beat them. ADPs and the moves within the ADP ranks, average draft position for those that are joining us here for the first time and hearing this podcast and thinking, well, never listening to that again. That's basically telling you what everybody else is going to do in kind of an inexact manner. Having ADP and having ADP movement tracking would probably tell us if I got to pick 27, in back in our hypothetical example, and DeAndre Ayton still on the board, if I don't take him, he's gone in the next one or two picks. If I take Jason Tatum, I'm not getting DeAndre Ayton. If I take DeAndre Ayton, I might still get Jason Tatum. Wouldn't you rather have both? And you're like, Dan, this example, Chris Paul and Jason Tatum were actually the two guys you wanted to have by the end of the year. Yeah, I know, I know. But I just needed to set this up in a way... That made sense. And the way that makes sense is to think, look, sometimes you take the guy who might not finish quite as high if you can still get the other guy with your next pick. Like, Dan, aren't you getting cute there? Yeah, but what if we took Jason Tatum at 27 in this hypothetical and none of the guys that we wanted were left at 34? What if we were stuck taking... I don't know. Who the hell is the next guy on our list? Buddy Heald? He was a guy that we liked a lot coming into the season. Didn't quite perform. He was fine. So then you got Jason Tatum who finished at 11 and Buddy Heald who finished at 59 as opposed to if we took Aiton at 27. He finished at 22. Finished at 22. And then we're picking from Paul Porzingis Tatum. One of those three guys will probably still be there. So you get a 22 and maybe a 21 or a 22 and a 13 or maybe a 22 and an 11. That's better. That's better than grabbing the guy that you think is finishing higher because you have to figure out who's still going to be there. It's the dance, man. So this is how we beat it. This is how we beat it even as Yahoo gets better. You use the data in front of you to figure out when to move away from the page and how to combine our own numbers with what is there on the page that you're staring at. And what we talked about yesterday, and, you know, we'll sort of wrap this thing up here with a couple of key thoughts. Key thought number one, understanding what other people are going to do. This is why we analyze this stuff, and this is how we continue to beat it. Because if we know what other people are going to do, we can use our own information to beat it. Key point number two, Yahoo's getting better. They were good for legitimately the top 64 picks this year. They were pretty damn close. Not all of them. But if you dodge the really bad ones, you didn't have to go too far off script in that range. That's a lot better than seasons past, because they were really only good through the top 50 last year. Key point number three. Even though Yahoo's getting better, there is still a distinct drop-off, and we still need to get more aggressive. Honest to God, I'm looking back at last year's results and thinking, how in the world did I decide that at pick 70 is where we could start No Man's Land. Looking back at last year, No Man's Land very clearly started at 51. They just weren't close outside of the top 50 last year. We should have started going nuts way sooner. That one example I always use when I, on this podcast of the one draft where it got to me at pick 60 and all of my falling stars had fallen out of favor. They had been picked, one of the two. And I thought, well, who's left on the board? That was at pick 60-61. I could have very easily just grabbed whoever I wanted to. Here I was thinking, man, I got to try to stick. I got to stick close because things are close until 70 or 80. And we're seeing right now that Yahoo's best season to date, which is basically this one, they were only good through the first 64. So I was right on the cusp of no man's land anyway. And here I am going, do I want to go with Julius Randall? Or, I don't know. Still on the board here? What do I do here? What do I do, guys? Instead of saying, all right, look, we went through all my top dudes. Uh, who's the interesting guys now? Let's get interesting. Let's look at Ubre. Let's look at Gordon Hayward. Just start grabbing, man. Take the guys that interest you. Don't take the guys that are still, that are just sort of there. So let's say Yahoo gets better. Maybe they're good through the top 70 next year. All that would do is move No Man's Land back five slots. From basically 60 in hyper-competitive leagues to 65 in competitive leagues. That's why this key point is, is maybe my most important of all of them. This, that key point that we're talking about right now, which is we need to get a little more aggressive. Not at the beginning when Yahoo's got it all right on the nose. Don't get aggressive there. And then take your falling stars, your Chris Pauls, your post-type guys like a Jason Tatum. Those guys are always floating around. Your Rob Covingtons, your Jonas Valanciunas, your Tobias Harrises, your LaMarcus Aldridge's. Businesses. Let all those guys get exhausted. Through pick 50 or 55 or 60. But at that point, don't feel like you need to go grabbing somebody who was ranked 55 just because they were ranked 55. You can look at pretty much whatever you want at that point. All right. That's the breakdown. That's how Yahoo did this year. They did better. I'd like to clown on them, but they did better. By all accounts, they did pretty well for a site that has to plant its flag in every single pick. Yeah, there were some misses. And yeah, we do better, but that's pretty good for a big-box site. It's pretty good. So we'll keep an eye on that going into next year as well. Uh, starting up tomorrow, new stuff to cover. How about that? It's time to start looking towards the future. That's your Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Whatever the hell day it is and whatever the hell month, I know we got 44 days until the NBA is coming back. So, until 43 so long this has been a hoop ball presentation